Hi everyone, welcome to the Sacred Musings podcast with me, Phil Saker. It's episode 74 today, it's the 9th of March, 23, and today we are thinking about, you say you want a revolution, about which kind of revolution we want. So welcome everyone to the podcast. Uh, today I titled the uh, the podcast after the Beatles song. Well, well, a lyric from the Beatles song anyway. You know, you say you want a revolution, um, and uh, yeah, um, revolution is what it's about. I've been reading this book. Um, well, you can't see on the audio podcast, but I'm holding it up. It's the Magna Carta of Humanity by Oz Guinness, and this is. Um, subtitled Sinai's Revolutionary Faith and the Future of Freedom and I mentioned it a few weeks ago I think it's been a really really helpful book so what I want to do over the next uh, few weeks uh, is is work my way through the chapters and just kind of explain so today I just want to um, introduce it and explain kind of his thesis before moving on next week as we, we actually go through his case um, but uh, yeah really really helpful book but before we get on to that, um, just a few um, bits of, um, well, I say it's not really news, but just stuff I've seen this week, which I've thought has been quite helpful, which I'd, I'll, I'll recommend to you as well. Um, one thing I saw last week, I think just after doing the podcast, actually, was called, um, uh, it was on the TCW Defending Freedom, formerly the Conservative Woman, and uh, it's called an NHS Doctor's Case for Privatisation. It's funny, isn't it, how in the media, any time the NHS is, you know, it seems it looks like things are being privatised. Certain sections of the press, particularly the left left wing press, um, will, you know, scream about privatisation and, you know, talk about how terrible it would be to privatise the NHS. And um, yeah, this one. Uh, <laughs> I mean, uh, this this this, this is written from an NHS doctor. This piece, and it says, um, "I honestly believe it will be better to burn it to the ground and start from scratch than allow this bloated, decaying zombie to continue lumbering on." I'd be the first to pile up the kindling. There we go. So, you know, I, I think the NHS is not fit for purpose. It needs a real radical uh, renewal. And um, yeah, this is. A, I thought that was a good and interesting article um, about it. Okay, the other, I've got three more things to mention, but these are actually all video uh, interviews. Uh, The first one is um, one that a few people mentioned to me. So thank you if you you mentioned this. This is an interview between Dominic Samuels and Andrew Bridgen, um, the MP who spoke out about uh, the vaccines. I thought that was a really interesting interview. And there were a couple of really interesting things that he said. The first thing was that about the origins of the virus, uh, in that he said that he'd spoken to friends in America who were fairly sure they knew where the virus came from. And he said that it was perhaps finished at the Wuhan Institute of Virology, but that's not where it originated. Um, he didn't really elaborate on that at all. He couldn't elaborate at, at that point. But uh, I think it's it's interesting to think where the virus might have come from, you know, whether it was maybe engineered. Um, maybe this was in some sense planned. You know, you have to wonder, don't you? And after the last um, last three years, I don't think I would be, you know, I'd be prepared to to believe anything when it came to what um, governments and corporations would be prepared to do. So you know, there was certainly an uh, a preparedness event where there was a simulated coronavirus pandemic. 
um, which was only a few months before actually uh, COVID. So, you know, who knows what's, um, what was going on there. But I, I hope more details about that come out uh, over the next uh, next few few months. And it does seem to me, you know, what would people think if they knew that everything they've been through over the last few years was actually a result of actions taken by governments and corporations? I think people would be very angry. The other thing that uh, Andrew Bridgen said was that he was offered, well, not exactly offered money, but sort of bribed to try and keep him silent. That he said, I think in uh, early twenty January 22, when he'd spoken out before, uh, someone from a representative came to him in Parliament and offered him whatever he wanted to basically shut up about the vaccines and, and everything. Um, so they tried to get to him. And I thought, again, you know, we are supposed to be living in a, a free and open democracy, but that is clearly not the case. And um, so I think he's a brave man and we should we should pray for him and, you know, we should um, try and do what we can to support him as well, as he is certainly in the, the midst of the lions, um, so to speak. OK, the next thing that I wanted to mention was an interview with Mary Harrington on uh, tri trigonometry. And uh, it's titled Why Progress is Bad for Women. But she's, she was talking about feminism and how feminism has really ended up being bad for women in, in its sort of um, modern uh, form. And it's things like the pill, particularly, she, she was very against uh, that and how it's changed women. And it's, it's been really harmful, actually. Um, I thought that was a really interesting interview again. And uh, it does seem like people like Mary Harrington, she's written a book about this, and also people like Louise Perry, um, who wrote the book The Case Against the Sexual Revolution, I think are, I think it's fascinating that they are starting to come up and, and say, no, hold on a minute, the things that we have taken for granted uh, through the 20th century and into the 21st are wrong and are starting to push back against it. And, you know, perhaps reality is begin, beginning to re-establish itself and people are starting to, to wake up to what we've done. So, yeah, really um, interesting interview anyway. I thought it was, was, was interesting. The final thing I was going to mention was an interview with John, John Anderson. Um, I love John Anderson. He's just such a lovely kind of gentle uh, man and um, I think a wise man, a good interviewer. And he did an interview with Douglas Wilson, who is a pastor in America. I've mentioned him before. And Doug Wilson is someone I, I probably not agree with on everything, but he's been very, very good. I think I've, I've grown to appreciate him more over the last uh, couple of years as he's seen more and more of what's going on in uh, in, in America, in um, church circles. And, you know, he's been very against the lockdowns and, and everything. And um, he's a very entertaining sort of speaker and, and writer as well. Um, so I thought that was a really interesting interview. It's called uh, America Divided, but um, just talking about talking about Christianity and its relation to America and trying to tease tease that all out. Actually, some of the things that we're going to be looking at today, he, he does mention Os Guinness. Um, so yeah, really, really interesting um, interview there as well, Doug, Doug Wilton. Um, so 
yeah, um, do have a look at any of those things. As always, if there's anything that you would like to recommend to me or to everyone else, leave a comment below, leave a message on Telegram, or email me through sacredmusingspod at gmail.com. Um, or if you'd like to, um, or as well, if you'd like to, um, you can support the podcast. You can leave um, me, a, a, there's a buy me a coffee link um, down below if you'd like to support me in that way. And thanks so much to everyone who has um, done that through the, the last um, you know year or, or two as well. I've really appreciated that. Um, and thanks for all of your messages. It's great to know that people are, are listening, watching and benefiting um, from this as well. So let's move on now with the podcast and let's think about Os Guinness's book. So here we are. You say you want a revolution, as uh, the Beatles said in their uh, in their famous song. I think that was from the White Album. But um, uh, yeah, there we go. And they recorded it twice, actually. I've, I discovered there's a you won't again if you're on the audio podcast you won't be able to see this but um, there's a, a picture there of them and it's actually of them playing it if you look it up on youtube uh, beatles revolution i didn't realize but they actually filmed it in uh, 1968 at twickenham studios so there we go that's a little still from the um from them actually playing it there we go i, I thought you might like to know that <laughs> beatles aficionados <laughs> so yeah the, t- today um, I wanted to start looking at this book, uh, The Magna Carta of Humanity, as um, Osginis by Osginis, uh, subtitled Sinai's Revolutionary Faith and the Future of Freedom. So I'm just looking at the introduction today. So I'm going to take, he sort of lays out his case for why this is necessary. And I thought it would be helpful to take you through that um, to start with before we actually get into looking at the, the meat of it next week. Um, but just before we get in, he starts. He starts out just you know the title page, and then there's there's just a collection of quotes um, from different people from the book. And there were a couple of quotes that I thought were particularly good to to begin with. Um, just thinking about you know the day freedom died, as it were. Um, this is a quote from Judge Learned Hand. I mean, what a great name, Judge Learned Hand, a 1944 an American judge. This is what he said. Liberty lies in the hearts of men and women. When it dies there, no constitution, no law, no court can save it. No constitution, no law, no court can do much to help it. Liberty lies in the hearts of men and women. And when it dies there, there's nothing that can help it much. And I thought, yeah, that's that's a really um, key thing, isn't it? That you know, over the last uh, three years, I think we've witnessed that in in action. That I am many people, and, and probably if you're listening to this, watching this, you have been astonished by how quickly people have just abandoned freedom and gave it all up to the government uh, for, for what seems so little. You know, for a um, for a, a virus which the majority of people survive, uh, and you think, well, what what would possess anyone, you know, to actually um, to, to give up their freedom like that? And this is this is the thing that we realise. I think that freedom has died in the hearts of men and women, and this is what we the problem that we're trying to fix. And this is a problem that was foreseen 
some time ago, so about 50-odd years ago, um, give or take, maybe a bit longer, uh, Alexander Solzhenitsyn gave, I think this was a speech, called A Warning to the West. I mentioned uh, Solzhenitsyn before, and um, I did a podcast about um, his essay, Live Not By Lies, which is a great essay if you um, you want to read that, if you haven't read it. But um, yeah, this is what he said in The war- Warning to the West. The Western world has arrived at a decisive moment. Over the next few years, it will gamble the existence of the civilization that created it. I think that it is not aware of it. Time has eroded your notion of liberty. You have kept the word and devised a different notion. You have forgotten the meaning of liberty. Now, Solzhenitsyn was saying this back in the mid-20th century, and I think his words were absolutely prophetic. You know, he saw at that time as someone who had come from the, the gulags of, of you know Russia, he'd come from the, uh, from from there, come to the West, come to America, and he saw in a way that I think many Western people couldn't see at the time that we had abandoned liberty in the, the way that, that the foundations of Western civilization had been laid. And um, I think his his warning there has come to pass again. We have seen what happens when we've abandoned the principles which gave rise to, to liberty. Um, so that's why it's so important to be talking about and thinking about this. And we will come back uh, to this at the end as well. So what Osginis says in his book, the thesis that he kind of lays out, is that the present crisis is a crisis between two different revolutions. The revolution, uh, so Western revolutions, but particularly 1776, the American Revolution, and the French Revolution of 1789. And he says that we are witnessing a battle between those two revolutions. The 1776 revolution, the American Revolution, laid the foundations for freedom, whereas 1789 is sort of like the opposite. So let me quote to you what he says. Three major themes run through my argument. First, the American crisis is a crisis of freedom and must be understood as such. So he goes on to say that freedom is at the heart of America, that America is the land of the free and the home of the free, you know, that freedom is has been central to the American what he calls the American experiment, if you like, because you know no nation has been as free as America is. And freedom is at the heart of of America, and so um, the crisis that's going on is a crisis of freedom. So that's what that's what he begins with. Okay, he goes on. Second, the present crisis stems from the fact that over the last fifty years major spheres of American society have shifted their loyalties and now support ideas that are closer to the French Revolution and its heirs rather than the American Revolution. The two revolutions share the same name, Revolution, but they are decisively different at almost every point. Their sources, their assumptions, their policies, their narrative and their outcomes. So it's it's the war between two different revolutions and that they are in conflict because they they are 
uh, they have the same name, but that's about all they share in common, that actually, in so many ways, they are in opposition. And he goes on, third, the time has come for a new global thrust on behalf of freedom and justice for humanity. And that's the point of writing the book, to say, you know, look, we've got to defend freedom here. We can't just assume that it will all turn out. We've got to make the case for it. We've got to look at it intellectually. We've got to, to examine why it's so important and we've got to build um, and, and, and you know we've got to try and persuade and convince people that it's it's right so that was his motivation for writing the book so what is so wrong about the 1789 revolution and what relevance does it have to today well, he devotes a little bit of time to this, talking about liberté and égalité and fraternité, and says that liberté, the liberty, was always the weakest thing in uh, the French Revolution. But how how it links through to today um, is that the the things, many of the ideological things which sort of come today are fruits or or kind of have their antecedents in the the, the French Revolution. And this is what he says. Such current movements as postmodernism, political correctness, tribal and identity politics, the sexual revolution, critical theory or grievance studies, and socialism all come down from 1789 and have nothing to do with the ideas of 1776. These movements and their ideas are far more important than the professors, the politicians and protesters who express them today. Indeed, these ideas and ideologies subvert the very foundations of Western civilization, and they are designed to do so. So he's saying that many of the ideas and the the the, the kind of um, ways of thinking, the worldviews which are popular today, he mentioned something things like postmodernism, political correctness, and identity politics, and so on. These things are come down from the French Revolution and they are actually designed to to undermine and subvert the foundations of Western civilization, which were kind of embodied in the 1776 American Revolution. So these modern ideas are antithetical to freedom and antithetical to what the West was built on. And you think you've been able to see that, haven't you? And I think we've been able to see over the last, say, 150 years, I think, the way that these movements have have grown and the way that these movements have actually sought to, to undermine many of the things that we hold dear. One of the things that struck me is how you know, things like Black Lives Matter, for example, which exploded um, back in 2020, but how Black Lives Matter you know, started to, to actually see Martin Luther King as a racist, um, and I've always looked at Martin Luther King as a hero of mine, you know, when he said, you know, I have a dream that my, my children will be judged not by the colour of their skin, but by the content of their character. And the Black Lives Matter movement seems to be saying, no, he was racist, Martin Luther King. That's not the right thing. I think, well, how crazy, you know, but it seems like we've gone back to judging people by the colour of their skin, not by the content of their character anymore. And that's a... 
that's a step backward. But it's, I think Os Guinness would say that's intentional, you know, that this is actually the end game that's dis destroying what we had, destroying freedom, destroying um, the things that we've built and, and have been, we'd spent many, many years as a civilization trying to build. Um, so, yeah, um, that, that's, that's what he's, that is what he's saying there. And the problem is, at the moment, that we don't have anyone who is standing up for the foundations. So let me quote from Os Guinness again. Why is there so far no American leader addressing the crisis from the vantage point of the American Revolution? There is currently no equivalent of Abraham Lincoln's leadership in the crisis. For all today's talk of making America great again, no American leader currently addresses what made America great in the first place. For a nation that is a republic by intention and by ideas, that deeper understanding is indispensable. No purely political, economic, managerial or technocratic solution can compensate for the absence of foundational ideas. So that that's a pretty damning indictment, I think, that it's like the ideas that built America from 1776 and I think you could extend that to much of the western world and I mean I've talked in the um, in the the past weeks about um, people like John Locke and his ideas about uh, his second treatise on government and and so on and people like John Milton as well you know built their ideas on something and that was uh well what what Osginis is going to go, to go on to say Sinai to to Exodus and to the first five books of the bible but really on the Judeo-Christian tradition is what our society and our civilization has been built on explicitly. And the fact that no one is prepared at the moment, no leader is prepared to stand up and say, no, we need to address the crisis that we are going through from the perspective of the ideas that built our civilization, I think shows that the 1789 revolution has virtually triumphed it, when it comes to our leadership, when it comes to our government and our media uh, class, at least. And, um, you know, part of the problem is, and I've noticed this with our government, that we are not dealing with the problems when it, you know, when it comes to going back to first principles. We're not dealing with those in that way. The, the, the Tories at the moment, for example, the government, just try to deal with the problems like of, of woke just by by pragmatic solutions rather than actually thinking no there's a more underlying problem here and we need to go back to the underlying first principles rather than um, just try to manage things and it, and Oz says I was going to say managerial or technocratic solutions they can't actually compensate for that though those foundational ideas let me just quote from him again if the great experiment in freedom is to continue their ideas and the roots of their ideas must be recovered and there must be leaders today who can set out those ideas and their relevance for our time. So this is the thing, you know, that without the ideas that built Western civilization, we will never recover the, the glory of, of Western civilization, if you like, the freedom and, and everything that made Western civilization great. That's uh, and we're not going to do it, you know, just by firefighting, by, you know, picking off different you know, like problems of free speech, for example, 
cancel culture. Yes, you can make laws about free speech and cancel culture, but unless people believe something more fundamental, then free speech is the laws about free speech are not really going to solve anything. Now he's saying we need people, leaders who are actually going to stand up and build on the foundations, the foundations of what made Western civilization in the first place, which is what he's going on to talk about. So then he goes on to talk about uh, what a revolution is. And this is something I found um, quite interesting as I've, I've not really thought about it like this before, but a revolution is trying to to turn the world the right way up. And I, I don't think the penny had quite dropped before with that, but, you know, think about a revolution turning around, you know, that, that a revolution is trying to put right what is wrong. It's, it's trying to turn the world the right way up. And the thing is, in order to do that, you have to have an idea of what the right way up is. And of course, the, the 1789 um, heirs of, you know, French Revolution heirs, they have a particular idea of what the right way up is. And they're trying to impose that on society. Um, what I like about Osginis is he says, actually, God was the original revolutionary. Let me quote you again from what he says. The biblical century was revolutionary, but with an entirely different vision of revolution than the French Revolution. In fact, the idea of turning the world the right way up came directly from the Bible, where the prime revolutionary, and therefore the subversive of the status quo, is said to be God himself. As the Hebrew scriptures see it, God is the true revolutionary. God creates order, but humans create disorder. So if right is to prevail and humans are to flourish, the disordered order must itself be overturned and God's order reasserted. You turn things upside down, the prophet Isaiah charges his generation. Turning the world upside down is therefore God's way of turning the world the right way up. God is the original revolutionary, and I really like that, that he's saying that, you know, God is the one who has a vision for the world, and mankind are the ones who just turn it the wrong way up. So God needs to turn it the right way up and we need to look to him and his ways in order to turn the world the, you know, the right way up, the way that things should be. So I, I thought that was a, a fascinating insight into a revolution and that's important for us to be thinking about as we think, well, you know, we, we want, we need a revolution in the Western world. What kind of revolution do we need? If we want to be turning things the right way up, we need to be thinking about this. We need to be thinking about God's revolution. So he then goes on to argue that the, um, the Exodus and the, the first five books of the Bible in general are actually where, where freedom, this revolution, comes from. So let me quote you again what he says. The book of Exodus and the first five books of the Hebrew Scriptures as a whole are nothing less than the Magna Carta of humanity. Even more than the historic 1948 Universal Declaration of Human Rights, Sinai offers a vision of the deepest and most comprehensive foundations for human freedom ever to ring out over the landscape of humanity. 
and it also provides the only solid foundation without which even the great ideals for the Universal Declaration itself are built on sand. In short, what is at stake in the reconsideration of Exodus is the vision of a good society, indeed God's good society, and within it a view of human life and a way of living that is unrivalled in history and rich with promise for our human future. So he says that the universal declaration of human rights is, that may have been a good milestone there in 1948, but the Sinai revolution 2000 years BC was actually the the greater thing. And in fact, the Sinai revolution set the context in which the universal declaration of human rights could take place. But the, the universal declaration makes no sense without uh, the Sinai revolution backing it up, if you like. And um, and I, I like what he says here, that uh, it's a vision of, of human life and way of living that's unrivaled in history and rich with promise for our human future. So the Sinai revolution was not just something for the past, which we've moved on from, but actually, if we want to move on as a human race, if we want to move on in the right ways, we need to return to the past. We need to go back to the way that, that things uh, and look at the, the ideas there and build on them for the future. That's the case that he's making. In, in a sense, we need to go back in order to move forward, which is so often the case, isn't it? You know, if you've gone down a wrong path, you need to go back to where we left and, and, and keep on building from the right path. So coming towards the end now, I just have a couple more quotes from him, which just look at uh, look at the future and whether we are actually willing to listen to what is is being said. So let me quote one more time uh, what he says. The problem is not that the ideas are obsolete, but that our generation is not noted for its careful considerations of first principles, its commitment to build determinedly and patiently, or for its civil debate over the challenges going forward. An assertion today is something to be attacked first and assessed afterward. The social media's recipe for prejudice and folly. But no matter. Our own times are never the sole standard for our thinking and our behaviour. We are not responsible for being born in the times we live in, but only for the responsibility and initiative with which we live in our time. So he's saying that our time is not noted for its commitment to first principles. You know, like I was looking at a few weeks ago about um, John Locke, that people in the past thought so much more carefully about deriving our views, our worldview and laws and and how things should be going back to how the what the bible says about what god says about how things should be and building on that it says we don't do that anymore nobody is making arguments from first principles like like that our forebears would have done um, but he says that that doesn't you know we still have the responsibility the fact that nobody is doing that doesn't mean that we shouldn't and you know we shouldn't take our lead from the way that our leaders are, uh, and our thought leaders are discussing these things, but we should we should take the initiative and we should be the ones who actually say, well, no, I'm going to go back to the Bible. I'm going to go back to this Sinai revolution. I'm going to think about the way that the world should be, and that is our responsibility, and that's all our responsibility. Now, it's not just for 
certain people to do. You know, we do need leaders who are prepared to to do this. But um, I, I like that. You know, that this is actually our initiative, our responsibility to think here about the way that the world should be and to live it. And it's not, you know, we mustn't leave it to someone else. But I think it's for all of us to 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 come you know, back to first principles, back to the Bible, back to the way that God wants us to live and say, this is what I believe. This is how I'm going to live my life. This is how I want, you know, I think um, society should be shaped and to work and argue and persuade in that direction. Um, and yeah, it's when we do that, that that things are going to begin to change. And so that's the challenge, really, as I come to the end of this this main section as I just have the one question, which revolution do we want? And I think this is perhaps the the uncomfortable question for a, a secular society where believing in God is seen to be a little bit weird and seen to be, you know, just a very private matter. But I fear that as a society, that is the choice that we have. We have the choice between the 1776 sort of Judeo-Christian um, uh, revolution and the principles of freedom which actually flowed from that and what it built or we have the 1789 secular uh, revolution which is where many things that you know uh, are in society at the moment are come from uh, like, like identity politics and uh, we're going to have to choose between one of those two things and I, I think that's a good challenge for us as we finish that it I've been trying to say this all the way through the podcast, but really the choice is either between, you know, God, the Bible, the Christian, the you know, Judeo-Christian heritage uh, that we have, or a kind of secularist agenda, which is actually working undermining our foundations and undermining uh, what we hold dear. And uh, I appreciate that for people who are you know, have a secular, but who want to hold on to Christian values, that may be an uncomfortable choice to make. But I think it is the only choice that we have. You know, I've said before, and I say it again, I do not believe secularism is strong enough to withstand the 1789 heirs, revolutionaries. You know, I, I don't think that uh, secularism is strong enough to actually stand up against this. Uh, that we actually need to go back to the Sinai revolution and we need to be building on that again. And it's when we do that that we're actually going to be able to move forward as a society. So that's what I wanted to say. Um, over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking through the chapters and I think there's particularly a couple of the chapters um, were some of the most helpful things I've read. One on freedom, I think, was particularly excellent. Um, but it's it's all good. So we're going to be looking through that, I think, seven chapters over the next few weeks. And um, hopefully we'll be listening to what he has to say and what um, the Bible has to say about freedom. So let's finish the podcast now with a little um, thought from the Bible. I say a thought from the Bible. Basically, what I want to do today is read a psalm. Because I think this is pretty self-explanatory. I don't think there's much I can add to what the psalm actually says. I was reading this the other day and it struck me again how relevant it is. 
and how important it is to be to be reading things like this. So I'm just going to read it out. Then maybe have a just a short thought about it at the end. Um, but um, yeah, this will be our final a final piece. Psalm 49. Hear this, all you peoples. Listen, all who live in this world, both low and high, rich and poor alike. My mouth will speak words of wisdom. The meditation of my heart will give you understanding. I will turn my ear to a proverb. With the harp I will expound my riddle. Why should I fear when evil days come, when wicked deceivers surround me, those who trust in their wealth and boast of their great riches? No one can redeem the life of another or give to God a ransom for them. The ransom for a life is costly. No payment is ever enough, so that they should live on forever and not see decay. For all can see that the wise die, that the foolish and the senseless also perish, leaving their wealth to others. Their tombs will remain their houses forever, their dwellings for endless generations, though they had, n- had named lands after themselves. People, despite their wealth, do not endure. They are like the beasts that perish. This is the fate of those who trust in themselves and of their followers who approve their sayings. They are like sheep and are destined to die. Death will be their shepherd, but the upright will prevail over them in the morning. Their forms will decay in the grave, far from their princely mansions. But God will redeem me from the realm of the dead. He will surely take me to himself. Do not be overawed when others grow rich, when the splendour of their houses increases, for they will take nothing with them when they die. Their splendour will not descend with them, though while they live they count themselves blessed, and people praise you when you prosper. They will join those who have gone before them, who will never again see the light of life. People who have wealth but lack understanding are like the beasts that perish. Okay, I think this is a great psalm, but um, you know, why should I fear when evil days come? Those who trust in their wealth and boast of their great riches. And I thought, you know, what a, uh, again, how relevant to today that we have people who, people like Bill Gates, who have incredible wealth and, and you know, influence. And, you know, it's, they seem to think they can change the world, shape the world because of their, because of their wealth. Uh, but actually, it says those who are, have wealth but lack understanding are like the beasts that perish. At the end of the day, you know, they can't do anything. And that uh, at the end of the day, you know, we trust in God to redeem and we trust in God to um, to, to actually redeem us. And even it says um, the upright will prevail over them in the morning, that the, the day will dawn and that those who have wealth but no understanding will will perish. And actually it is those who are upright, who are righteous, who trust in God, who will prevail. And so I hope that's an encouragement to trust in God and that even though it might seem at the moment like, you know, the what is wicked, what is, you know, people who are, are wealthy and people who are, ri- you know, sort of rich and, and just powerful are, 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 are you know, um, lording it over the little people. It might seem like that at the moment, 
But actually, uh, the goal for all of us is the same, is, is death. And the most important thing is to trust in God to to redeem us. And it is through doing that and trusting in him that you know, the upright will prevail. And I think that that means not just that, you know, in, when we die, um, the upright will be with, with God, those who trusted in Jesus and the uh, the others will not be. But actually, I think it does mean as well that when we trust in God, things will change in this world as well, that these people, they have limited power, they have limited influence, even though it seems, it doesn't seem like that at the moment. But we will see uh, the upright prevail over them in the morning. And we can trust in God for that. So let's pray for, for all of these things and pray that God would help us to have that that kind of faith and trust, not to fear when these evil days come. And so, Heavenly Father, we thank you as we were thinking about the Sinai revolution. We thank you, Lord, for the way that that has shaped Western civilization for so many years. And we pray, Lord, at the moment when it seems that this revolution is under threat, is being attacked on many sides by the, the heirs of 1789, we pray, Heavenly Father, that you would um, enable your ways to prevail and that the, the world would be turned once again the right way up and that you would bring, uh, bring forward real progress from this, uh, building on the foundations uh, that you have given. And we pray, Heavenly Father, as we were reading in the psalm, that you would help us to trust you through the ups and downs of what we're going through at the moment, to not fear when evil days come, uh, but to, to be humble and trusting in you that the upright will prevail and that we will see your goodness as we trust and, and, and seek you. So we pray for your blessing upon us, upon our, our families, those we love, and pray that you would keep us safe um, and ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks so much for joining me today. Uh, I'll be back uh, next week. Um, if you're on YouTube, don't forget to do the like thing. And if you haven't subscribed already, do subscribe. If you're on the audio podcast and you're able to leave me a rating, um, even a review, that would be really great. Someone was asking me the other day how you do a, a review. Um, I'm not, I think there are different podcasts providers. They've got different different ways of doing it on Apple uh, podcast which is kind of the primary podcast way i think you have to tap on the podcast go through and scroll down to the bottom and um yeah just google it if you don't know how to do it there's it's it's um they don't make it very straightforward actually um so yeah um there'll be there'll be a way don't forget if you'd like to get in touch email me through sacredmusingspod at gmail.com uh, you can leave a comment on youtube telegram me links are all down below or um and uh, yeah, there's a buy me coffee link as well if you want to support me. Thanks so much, everyone. God bless and I'll see you next week.